Hello, sustainability partners. This is Lydia Vanderbroek here to share with you best practices around sustainability in hospitality and tourism. And by sustainability, I mean more than mere ecological sustainability, which has thankfully moved into the center of our collective attention over the last few years. If you want to run a truly sustainable operation, you need to also assure economic sustainability, primarily through excellent guest service and human as well as social sustainability by training and empowering your staff and including the communities that you interact with. How? Well, this is where I come in and I talk to real people in real businesses to hear about real solutions to real challenges. And I'm happy to share these learnings with you. So if you want to become more sustainable, I invite you to listen in to our conversations and pick out some of these gold nuggets that you can hopefully use in your own operations. And as a side note, every one of my guests has offered to make themselves available for a more in-depth conversation. So by all means, do reach out, connect, and together we can make hospitality and tourism more sustainable. Hello and welcome. Welcome, friendly people. Welcome to our podcast and Please join me in welcoming Anina Sandberg, a wonderful and truly remarkable person, as you will see. She has founded and is now running an organization called Visit Natives, where she provides truly incredible travel experiences for guests. Through her organization, you could, for example, book a sustainable and authentic adventure created by the indigenous people that she works with like the Sami in Northern Europe or the Maasai in East Africa. I really wanted to talk to her to learn about her paradigms around immersive travel, how she sets up her destination and how she works with the host communities. I think that the question about how to best create a win-win situation with the communities we interact with is super important. And I'm so happy I got to talk to her. And so will you, I can assure you. So enjoy our conversation. I'll see you on the other side. And here we are. I'm here looking at a snowy background of Finland. Where exactly are you? I'm meeting here with Anina Sandberg. Anina, where am I? Where am I reaching you? Where exactly are you located? Yeah, I'm in Helsinki. It's the capital of Finland. And this is island of Lauttasaari. It's just in the near the sea. So we still have a lot of snow, as you said. Um, but we are looking forward to the springtime. I believe, though, because I'm looking at a huge window in Anina's background and I see forest and snow and everything you would assume Finland to look like. And it doesn't look like Helsinki. That's why I thought you were somewhere out in the woods. Actually, I'm four kilo- kilometers from the city center of Helsinki. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, looking at the weather, I'm not surprised that you are seeking the warmer regions of the world as well. Hmm? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it probably makes your heart melt when you think about the places you have gone to and where you've set up operations. Uh, and this is exactly what we want to talk about, right? Um, Anina, 
explain to us in a nutshell, if you could, what Visit Natives is all about to begin this conversation with, please. Yes, the Visit Natives is a travel agency that connect, connects travelers with indigenous people and communities. And it's also a social enterprise, which means that we uh, support and empower indigenous people and community to host travelers and to gain from tourism, to take those positive sides of tourism. So uh, we started in, um, in Norway because in Norway they are living the European Union's only indigenous people, the Sami reindeer herders. They live in Norway, Finland, Sweden and part of Russia. So we started to bring travelers there and it was a great success because people are looking for authentic stays. They live with the Sami family. They do reindeer herding tasks. And yeah, it started very well. So I started to think about what else we could do. And because I have my history, I'm an Africa researcher as my um, profession. So I have lived in Tanzania. So we scaled to Tanzania with the different indigenous communities like um, uh, Sami and the, oh, no, I mean Maasai, Datoka and Hatsabe. Okay. So you started in your own backyard and then you expanded. So let's retrace this for a minute. So uh, you are Finnish and you studied African studies. Yes. Okay. Because you wanted to get out of the cold of Finland. What, <laughs> what drove you into African studies? Yeah, I think since I was a child, I was always interested in other cultures and mainly in indigenous cultures. So... I don't know. Many people ask me, but it was a passion I had. My mother said since I was a toddler, I was talking about Africa, but we don't have any connections to Africa. So that was something that I always carried inside and I wanted to do. So I enrolled to University of Helsinki to study African studies, but I have never been to Africa. So I studied the Swahili language, Kiswahili, uh, and then I went to Tanzania because I was thinking, how can I do something that study a language or a culture that I have never been to. So yeah. that was my first time I moved to Tanzania and I um, I was serving as a volunteer first. Mm-hmm. And then later I came to conduct my fieldwork and other missions later. But that is how it started. But it was mainly my interest to explore other cultures, indigenous cultures and languages. And yes. Okay, so you went to Tanzania, you stayed um, with a local tribe? Was it the Maasai? Yes, I stayed with the Maasai. So I moved with them to the to very far remote place in Savannah. There was no roads, no electricity, no toilets, nothing. And they always dropped me there by motorbike. And then they came back maybe after three weeks for one month. And then I went maybe to the small town to buy some more food or just... Because in those times, there was no cell phones. I mean, they were cell phones, but not like we have now. There was no right. connection. So there were cell phones, but I couldn't call. There was no access to call anybody. Mm-hmm. So, But then I stayed there like six months living in the Maasai hut with the people. And also, I also learned to speak the Ma language and Swahili. And yeah, it was very immersive experience. Mm-hmm. And that also changed my life because... When you really live with the people and you speak, you learn to speak their language, you start to understand how they think, how they do certain things. So then you expand your own horizons. Mm-hmm. And that's also what why I like to, 
why I like to study African studies and anthropology because our way of living is not the only one and it's not the right one. We are all here. We all have different cultures. So it was very, very beautiful and interesting time. And then you came back after you stay with the Maasai. You went back to Finland. And how did the idea develop in your in your mind? I mean, you didn't start with the Maasai, right? You start with the Sami, right? Yes. Then I started to think what I want to do. I wanted to find my own passion, to start my own business, to do something that I could create by myself. So then I was thinking that these experiences that you can go to foreign country and really be with the people, it's very difficult if you don't have connections. And not everybody can learn a language, go to live one year somewhere. So I was thinking if I can offer these kind of experiences easily for people and they can go for one week, but take those beautiful experiences and also to support locals, because for them, it's very, very important also Uh, those who are willing to work with tourism, they really need the extra income. So um, when I was in Finland, it was all my idea, but I thought it's easier to try where I'm near. So, you know, it it was like something logical to do. And I think it was a very good choice because um, even Norway and Tanzania are very different countries. There are still many things in common when we think about indigenous tourism. Yeah, I think it was a good start. Okay, it was a good start. So you set up the immersive travel basically here. And that's Norway, right? People would go to Norway to to live with the Samis. I get the idea, but there must have been huge challenges or not to start this business. I mean, how do you... I I don't know. I can imagine. Okay, I'm going to Norway. I'm going to go look for some local communities to see if they want to work. How did you set it all up? How did you approach the communities? Yeah. How did you do it? How did you start that? Yeah, it's true. It wasn't easy, as you said. And then when you go to indigenous communities also, they you have to go with right intentions. Right. I mean, and then you're proposing some kind of business idea. I mean, you have to go slowly, slowly first to get them to know you. And it's a long process, actually. And I learned it through the through my path. And it's true. Yeah, it was an adventure also for me because I went to Norway just to search for the connections and people. So it was interesting road trip that I did with my brother, actually. Okay. And then how did you convince the first, how many, uh, one step back, how many communities do you work with now, for example, in Norway? Well, it depends because we have our, like, I have my main partner that I collaborate with. And then when we, for example, when we have this summit reindeer migration, there can be multiple, multiple families. And then we organize at that time. So it, um, we like we have many communities, not communities, like many families, but it depends on what kind of experiences we are talking about. Like migration, it can be up to five, five different families, but the families are extended families. They are like mm-hmm. families. So, yeah, but it's very small scale. Okay. Okay. So how did you convince the first family or the first community to work with you? Well, they actually had the idea already. I mean, really? I was, yeah, because um, 
I think we we were match we were matching. You know, like they were thinking they want to do tourism. They had this um, idea already, but it's very hard if you are full time reindeer herder to do the marketing to do nice. the. I mean, all those things you have to do full time, and you have to gather knowledge and have the tools. And if you are herding like most of the time in Tundra with very low Wi-Fi, it's it's difficult. So I think we were a good match because I was looking for them. They were looking for me in a way. And then we started to build together. Mm-hmm. But okay. after that, we have also found people who say, oh, we really like what you do. So could we also join you? And we okay. could also host host travelers. Okay. Because we always follow the uh, ranger calendar. So when the herders are busy, we don't bring oh, them in. Right, right, and right. They, they organize, they plan, design, they do everything. They make the price. I just sell and market. Oh, right. All right. So I'm not designing like what they do there because it's this is like community-based tourism and they are the ones who make these experiences. Okay. So yeah. they are thinking up a program. They are organizing. So you basically just bring them the guests and the, the local families or the community is developing some sort of a package of things to do with them, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. And of uh, course, we can uh, we can talk and see what's work out, what mm. the clients like. So, but they are the ones who plan everything. And all right, all right. Yeah. And they were mentally prepared for that. They were looking for you. You were looking for them. It's a match made in heaven. <laughs> yes. in heaven, right? Yes. So that must have been very exciting to see how nicely this got kicked off. Did it? Did it help that you were? A local girl, so to um, say? Um, I don't know. I never thought it like that. I think we just had the same idea. I think that was the thing that we were thinking same way. And yeah, we helped each other to build something. Okay. Okay. And so you saw this working and then you decided, okay, this works. I'm going to take it to the Maasai, <laughs> which, yes. which is kind of a job, right? Yeah, yeah. But with the Maasai, it was totally different because they didn't have, it was, the concept was, we tried to copy the thing to continue, but there was very challenging because it's very different. So, yeah, so it was another story again to start to build it there, how to work there and how to work with the indigenous communities. So did you go back to the community that had hosted you? Yes, actually I did. Yes, because it was logical to to go back to them and. And how, what were the differences in setting up the program? Did you have to do, use a different approach? Were they not ready themselves to, like, like you found the Samis ready for you, basically, they were just waiting for you, right, to come with the right concept. Uh, so the Maasai weren't waiting for you as such. Is that so? Mm, but also there has been, I mean, Tanzania, there is, has always been lots of tourism. Right. And also Maasai have been affected with tourism for a long time and they are selling jewelry or also many Maasai are serving as a safari guides, a nature guides. So there is tourism already um, because there's lots of tourism in Tanzania. Right. Uh, but the thing is maybe the people are not benefiting in a way they would like to benefit or um, they are seeing only as uh, some part of, I, they are not like planning and designing them by themselves. Mm-hmm. 
but there has been a lot of uh, Maasai culture, Hachapi culture, Datuka culture tours and activities have been already. But I think the aspect is like that to give the, not the kids, but have the opportunity to them to tell what they want to do, how they want to do, do it in a respectful and and also sustainable way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they were not really owning the business. They were just, it was more a love or transactional uh, uh, affair. Is this, am I understanding this right? Um, yes, yes. And also like, I think it, they're they're how could I say like they want to do maybe more but the possibilities are not so wide Mm -hmm. but these are the people who want to work in tourism but then in the area for example where I live it's very far there is no tourism at all Mm -hmm. so then if somebody goes there it's um they really like it because um they need additional income due to climate change there is so there's much more challenges than before the cattle are dying. They are uh, cattle diseased. Uh, it's very dry, so they need money to buy just food or medicine, or you know, there are needs. Mm. So, if you live far and you're a pastoralist, you don't have many possibilities, and mostly for women because we want to bring travelers to stay with the women. Mm-hmm and widows and the vulnerable groups inside mm-hmm. of the community. So for them, it's it's very big help. Mm-hmm. And they love hosting travelers. Really? Like, done yeah. in a respectful way. They really love it. So I think it's a win-win situation for mm-hmm. all the parts. And we always only work with the communities that want to do it. Of course, you cannot force anybody. Right. So, But mainly, we have more people who want to invite our travelers that we can really bring there really yes okay so it's 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 uh, they see the benefits the communities can can really feel the benefits of having travelers and they are deciding themselves what they want to offer in a sense that makes them feel valued and respected and not used right yes exactly yeah, yeah. So would you say this is the secret to having uh, this sort of travel, the immersive travel, is to have the local communities decide how many people they want to welcome and uh, what exactly they want to do? Because that's the main, the, that that would be the my main question here is how do you how do you incorporate that sort of travel in a way that doesn't make both the communities and the travelers feel like they're in some kind of a Disneyland, right? Absolutely. How do you, how do you make it nat, you know, as natural as you can? Right? Yeah, I think you cannot call anything sustainable indigenous tourism if the indigenous people are not in control. They have, they have to plan and design and then it's sustainable indigenous tourism. So um, normally when we bring travelers either to Norway or um, Tanzania, we don't, how can I say, we, there's, there's no facilities that are built for tourism. There's no nothing that doesn't happen in normal life. So if you go to Norway, you go to their family, you go to their house, then you go herding. There's nothing that would not happen without them. Okay. So it's also easy for them just to have the visitors, as we always call, they are not visitors, they are like family members, they are like guests. And then you join them three, four days. And for travelers also, it's so immer- immersive. They, they say like 
it was the best e- experience ever because we just live with them three or four days. Mm-hmm. And also in Tanzania, like you go to Jataka village, maybe there's not much happening sometimes. You go to fetch the water, fetch the firewood, but that's what we want to show. I mean, the real real life. Mm-hmm. So there's no set up performances or something that would not happen. Okay. But of course, sometimes people want to show, the indigenous communities want to show some dancing or something that they feel they are proud of and they want to share with the, with the customers. Mm-hmm. So you do not accommodate the needs of the, the modern traveler at all. I'm thinking bathrooms or showers or water or none of that. Mm, yeah, in in Norway also, in Tundra, there's no bathroom, there's no shower. The toilet is another building, unheated. And that's the way the reindeer herders live in the Tundra when they herd the reindeer. So the customers go there, but we inform everybody in advance. So nobody is accepting, for, uh, nobody is thinking they will be accommodated in a hotel. Mm-hmm. So it can be harsh if you're not used to it. And in Tanzania, um, we have tents and maybe in some, uh, uh, we can have a portable toilet, but we don't have like a showers. Maybe you get a bucket of water that you can wash yourself, but it's, it's like trekking, it's camping. It's, it's not a, it's not a hotel. Yeah. And even modern travelers can sustain this for three or four days, right? It's not like they're going to live there for six months or a year like you did. Yeah, no, even one week, it's mm-hmm. it's okay. But because I think this also helps us to get the right kind of travelers because they have to be ready. They have to be looking for this. So if you are not, then I think you would not book yourself into an adventure that you don't feel comfortable. Well, that I'm sure you get interesting feedback from your guests, right? Are there any any particularly fun stories you you can yeah. share from travelers? Yes, I think what always um, touched me is like uh, there was one uh, man from Canada, and he was staying with the Sami, and he wrote me that the stay was so so beautiful, and he couldn't believe that they went to fetch the water from the strain, and it was so clean they could just drink it like that. And, you know, small things that happens in real life, you think that oh, you get like insights about how people live in different parts of the world. Mm-hmm. I always say that you can book a five-star hotel anywhere in the world and right. you can have the luxury of a lifetime anywhere, but you cannot go to migrate with a Sami family in the middle of Arctic wilderness. I mean, it's very rare. And that's the thing we call, I don't know, is it a nature luxury or is it like, I don't know how to call it, but this is something that appeals to our customers to experience something that it's not common for you. It's not what you live in your everyday life. I think that is the, the, uh, the success about these days. Mm-hmm. And as yes. we've written in our website, it's not for everybody. Our tours mm-hmm. are not for everybody. So they are only for those who are ready for an adventure and out of the community zone, you know, to be ready to challenge themselves as well, to experience something maybe different that they have been used to in their life. And the local community or the, the, the people in local communities, they do not feel exploited because they are in charge of the programs and they're in charge of handling handling the the stays of the guests right exactly. and they do not have to they do not they are not 
I mean, they're accommodating the, the travelers, but they are not bending over backwards. Uh, they do not have to alter their current living situation in order to accommodate the travelers. Did I get that right? Yes, because we this is not mass tourism. We and also now during the last past years because of the corona, the uh, I mean the still traveling is very low. So it happens every now and then. So then the family have their own life. They don't change things because of us. No. So I could never bring anybody to Norway, either Tanzania, to to stay with the indigenous people without their they. Um, permission about the elders knowing it. I mean, in all indigenous communities, this they gather together, they discuss. So I think it could be even impossible to do the tours if they were not. <laughs> I mean, yes. And then they decide the places they go and what to show for the tourism. There are also things that they don't want to show, like there are some beliefs, some sacred sites, and those are not okay. And then they just you know, it's like they show about their culture, what they want to share, what they feel comfortable to share with the others. Um, so it's not mass tourism. Where do you tourists come from? Where do the guests come from? Yes, I think all over the world, mainly from USA and Europe. To both Norway and Tanzania? Yes. Is there any 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 uh, African travel going into Africa? Do you see any? Yeah, I think... Um, for us, not yet, but I, there are also tourism inside Africa going different places, but um, we haven't got them yet, but I hope that we would be happy to host. Mm -hmm. And then we have a dream. We would like to give these uh, uh, chances for indigenous people to travel and experience, for example, from some summit to go to Tanzania or some from Tanzania go to Norway to do exchanges to see. Ooh, yeah, that would be interesting. Yes, it could be. Are you trying to set something up like that? Yeah, we've been thinking about it, and it would be nice to do this kind of cultural change. Mm, exchange, yeah. Yes. So where are you going next? Do you have more communities, more places, more geographical areas you want to go to? Absolutely. And now, of course, during the corona, everything has been a little bit slow, but now we have two more uh, options that we are looking for to scale in the maybe next year. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, is maybe it's still a little bit secret because it's not uh, it's not official, but it will be another continent again. Really? Okay. Yes. So you do want to uh, want to span the entire world with your concept? Well, I think when you find a real good connection, you can build it. So it wasn't a plan to expand over the world. It depends where you find the right people, where you feel that the other part are also willing to do it. So I think it's all about connecting with mm -hmm. the right people who are ready. Like in Norway, it was the perfect time in Tanzania. So it's about possibilities we get in life to connect with other people. Mm, that sounds very, very interesting. So where do you go when you go on vacation? Um, recently, well, it depends. I love in Europe, I love Italy because I have lived there and I have like my Italian relatives. They're not my relatives, but I always like to call them my relatives. But also, yeah, um, recently I, I also enjoy my own trip so much that I don't have to go for another vacations. So I, I like really much camping in Tanzania. I like to put a tent and sleep there, look at the sky. I love the nature experiences. Also, the Lapland in Finnish side is very beautiful in Norway. So I think also the um, 
destinations I have picked up for the company is the places I, I spend time also in my free time a lot. So where are you going where where are you going to go next? And uh, next, I think I was supposed to be in Norway to join into migration, but then there were some changes I couldn't go. But I think it's going to be again Tanzania. So you're going to visit your the guest families that that you are working with. Yes, we have some projects, and also we are helping the Maasai widows to sell handicrafts. Okay. So, yeah, so we have something little projects going um, going on. So. Because during the COVID, it was very difficult. We have just started to operate and then Corona hit. And it was so sad because they were not getting, getting visitors. So we tried to help them by selling um, at, um, indigenous handicrafts. Mm-hmm. So it's also helpful for women to have additional income. Right, right. And it's the, the women and the vulnerable people that you're working with primarily, right? Yes. So you have a lot of connections to them and and you connect them to sellers or how do you how do you help them sell their 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 um their works? How do you do that? Uh, actually we sell them, visit natives, sell. Okay, you sell it directly. Yes, yes. Okay. okay. And also Sami Sami handicrafts and because we have the connections to the families, the indigenous families, and then we can just sell them. So it has been also one idea to support the communities mm-hmm. they want to, because mm-hmm. there are a lot of um, art uh, people who make beautiful handicrafts and it's difficult to sell them. So then we can be a, be a help mm-hmm. to spread the word and help them to get. So what do you think are the challenges ahead of you as you are, as you are moving into post Corona and whatever the world is going to look like? After whatever is going on here right now, what, what do you think? Where do you see the biggest challenges coming your way? I don't know. Maybe um, I don't know. Other amounts going to be different because it's very hard to estimate now how the travel will turn. Mm. So we always want to keep it a small scale, and because there are some things you have to think about, like safety and then the indigenous community so just to be to build the open dialogue between all the parts and to see what kind of things we can do together and what benefits did communities and what the travelers want to explore so it's still much we can learn and do in the future mm-hmm. that we will see what is mm-hmm. going to happen so you're keeping an open mind you're keeping your your mind open for the new opportunities that might come your way Absolutely, yes. As an entrepreneur, you always know that anything you plan mostly won't happen in the way you thought. <laughs> so I also like it. Like you never know what's going to happen. And mm. it's also nice to be in a way of, I think it's also creative work in a way that you can always think some something and then you can go forward. And if mm. it's going to be happening, then it just happens. But what is your vision? Do you have an idea? If you think visit natives 10 years from now, what would you like it to be? Yes, I would like to see we are operating in maybe five to six countries where we help the indigenous communities. And yeah, I think it would be nice that we could, we could because now even uh, people are asking me, could we do this in their country, some indigenous individuals? So I see there is a there are people who would like to do it, but I also have to find the customers. So it's all matches well. 
I think it's probably that we could have many destinations and just to work the tourism in a way that we believe in, in a fair, sustainable way that benefits local communities and also uh, leaves small ecological, I mean, we might minimize the bad effects of tourism to the nature. Right. right. So, yeah, I think it's a good, good, good future to dream on. Yeah. And to connect people and... I'm sure your your clients when they go when they when they come back when they go back uh, to their home countries, they must go away with a with an entirely different paradigm on what life is like and what how connected we are and what it means to be a, a human in 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 this day and age, right? Yes. Uh, when I started, I was thinking about we help the indigenous communities not only, but that was my thought but when I started to have the visitors the guests and they told me like the experience was not that we not, I, I don't know helped but we gained income to the mm -hmm. communities but it changed our lives the mm -hmm. people started to tell me how this trip really made me think differently how it changed my whole life and I started to think that was the thing that happened to me when I was living with the Maasai it changed my life mm -hmm. and I think it's about tolerance, about how you see people live differently. It can even a very short time can change you as a person. Yes. And I think that's the that's the proposed what is traveling is the education, as we mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. So I think this is the best education because um it changes you, it makes you it, it can make you a better person. And the one aspect that I also uh, really like on this is the climate change because the indigenous people are affected, the climate change affects them mostly. So when you go to live with them, um, you really see how, what are the effects? Because if you live in a town in a city in a Europe or USA, you don't see it in a way they see it. So then when you are there, you start to realize it's also climate education. Mm -hmm. And then you can change your own ideas also. You you go there and you see yourself what is happening. Like the winter pastures now in Norway are destroyed. It has been uh, terrible this year because of the climate change. And it has interrupted all the migration plans. And we will have to explain this to our customers that this is a nature's act. And we cannot do anything. And the families are like, this is the first time ever it happened. So then the people are like, oh no, like now we see the climate change, what happens and how it affects people's lives. So I think the one aspect is climate education is very important. Makes you want to send some politicians your way, huh? <laughs> yeah, we would welcome. <laughs> we yeah. sponsor them. <laughs> go there and make the experience firsthand. Well, I think it's it's lovely. I mean, it's 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 slow tourism. It's uh, It's good tourism. It's not for everybody. But it uh, it works towards sustainability. It works towards education, and it helps indigenous people, indigenous communities to make a, a better living for themselves and their families. And uh, it teaches us, like you said, tolerance, understanding, having a broader mind, the fact that we're all connected, right? And uh, uh, it might not reach the masses what you're doing, but uh, uh, little by little. We all do what we can do. And I think you're doing a fabulous job in giving everybody these experiences. So thank you very much for connecting all of us. Okay, thank you. And I, in the, uh, in the end, I would like to say, like, I think what is beautiful in, in being a human being is like when you travel and you go to stay with, let's say they are still strangers for you in the time you book your trip. 
then you leave with the family one week, you do all the things together from starting in the morning until the late night, you you become you you do everything together, then you build these bonds and relationships and connections. And it's all about we are here for each other only. And after you go back home, it was so meaningful trip because you were just connected. And I think that's the purpose that we have to remember now during these difficult times to be polite and friendly and just to believe in humanity. Believe in humanity. We'll take that away, Anina, in this day, in this day and age. Um, thank you so much for the work you're doing. And thank you for taking the time today to have this okay. conversation. I'm enlightened. Um, I really wanted to understand how you go about giving travelers this immersive experience without uh, the locals feeling exploited, without this looking like Disneyland, um, especially for not just for my own curiosity, of course, always, and first and foremost, but also for those that maybe have hotels um, or have their small operations uh, in an area where they might want to, you know, include communities and where, Uh, they might feel that um, it would be an interesting experience for travelers to to see more of the life outside of the hotel. And so maybe there was a thought or two around that, definitely for me, uh, on how to possibly set something up in order to give travelers the experience and at the same time not making it into some sort of weird Disneyland. So thank you very much for that input. It's, it enlightened me, and I could imagine that it will do the same to others as well. Thank you. So, thank you very much, and safe travels wherever you're going. Huh? Thank you so much. So, isn't it just like I said? Well, I hope you felt the warmth and the energy of Anina through our conversation. And if you want to interact with her directly, please feel free to contact her at visitnatives.com. You can also find her on LinkedIn. So for the time being, thank you so much for listening. And I will hopefully talk to you again real soon. Stay awesome. Thank you and bye-bye.